The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, well, we are going to pick up where we left off last week and I know we kind of left off in Genesis chapter 17, but really we left off in Romans chapter 2 and verses 25 through 29. And we're going to go ahead and, and read those now. So we're talking about the judgment of God being according to truth. And this is part four of the study. And we're speaking here, or Paul is at least, to the Jews and showing them that they are in as much need of justification before God as as we are, as the Gentiles are, that they stood um, unjust before God. And um, so let's look at Romans chapter 2, 25 through 29 now. Let's read it together, if we could. Verse 25, For circumcision verily profited, profiteth, If thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Verse 26, Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision doth transgress the law? Verse 28, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the inspired word of God. We thank you for the inward circumcision that you've given all of us who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We just pray that you teach us the Word of God now through the Holy Spirit, to the praise and glory of your sweet name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, as, as I kind of mentioned in the opening last week in our study, we looked at the covenant of circumcision between God and Abraham as recorded in Genesis chapter 17. And we looked at the historical biblical context of the covenant. What took place at the covenant of circumcision, God's promises and requirements on account of that covenant, and the purpose of the covenant. After God called Abraham by faith out of Ur of the Chaldees, in Genesis 12.1 and Hebrews 11.8, as, as, as those verses record, God graciously chose to bless Abraham and his posterity by conferring upon them many outward or external privileges out of the good pleasure of his will. And everything God does is out of the good pleasure of his will, we said, and for his glory. And he did this by making a covenant of circumcision with Abraham. Now, circumcision was the physical token the physical mark, if you will, signifying this perpetual covenant between God and Abraham. 
distinguishing Abraham and his seed as God's distinct people of whom the promised Savior, Jesus Christ, would come and of whom imputed righteousness by faith would be revealed to all believers. We looked at Genesis 15.6 and Romans 4.11 and we said that uh, the Bible teaches us here that Abraham received the righteousness of faith before he was circumcised. Which proved what? If Abraham received his righteousness, which was by faith, before circumcision, what does that say? Or what does that prove concerning circumcision? That it wasn't necessary, right? For righteousness. It wasn't necessary to be justified before God. And so, we talked about not only, not only was circumcision not necessary, but any external work performed by man was necess- is necessary, right, for justification before God. But what is necessary is the imputed righteousness of Christ by the grace of God. The Jews in Paul's day did not understand this, or they lost sight of this. They sought to substitute the sincere, inward circumcision of the heart, which is wrought of God, which is a work of God, with the outward act of circumcision wrought by man. Placing their confidence in the external Ceremony, right, and privileges of circumcision for the saving, and not only the saving, but the securing of their souls. Now, if anyone had reason to boast, it was Paul. If anybody had reason to boast in their flesh, it was the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, the Bible says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, Paul speaking of himself here. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. That is, if anybody has reason to trust in what they do, in the works of the flesh, I do, right? Even more so, right? More than anyone. Verse 5 circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. So he was circumcised the eighth day. And isn't that what we learned last week, or at least reviewed, that circumcision was required for every Jew the eighth day? Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. And how were the Pharisees concerning the law? At least the outward performance of it, right? The appearance of it? How were they? Dogmatic, (laughs) strict, to the letter, right? To the letter. All right. Let's look at Paul's theological arguments now. Let's circle back to Romans 2 and verses 25 through 29 as he labors to remove all hope and all dependency upon circumcision as a means of salvation for the Jew. Paul says here in verse 25, Could it be true? Could circumcision be of no avail to the Jew? Could it be of no advantage? Could it be of no profit to the Jew? Verse 25, For circumcision verily profiteth, 
it truly or surely does profiteth or profit the Jew. It's useful. It's beneficial. It's to their advantage. What does the Bible say? A big if. <laughs> in, the, in the middle of this sentence, in the middle of this statement, if thou, if thou keep the law. And what Paul was telling the Jews is that circumcision, yes, it would be a benefit or advantage to them if they kept the law of Moses, God's moral law, and if they kept it perfectly. Galatians 5.3 tells us, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. And anybody who is not under grace, but labors under the law, is a debtor. Are they not? Is a debtor to God. And that's a debt that you and I can never pay. It's a debt no one could ever pay. Circumcision was an obligation of the ceremonial law, not the moral law. While circumcision was enforced, it served as a reminder, and as I said, a token and motivation to the Jew by way of a pledge of his obligation to God. His obligation to keep the whole moral law. But this the Jews lost sight of or did not understand. Depending instead upon circumcision fully or in part for their salvation. Circumcision signified the Jews' special covenant relationship with God through Abraham. Their responsibility to God as well as all the external advantages and privileges they received from God because of that unique, distinct covenant. Circumcision was profitable to the Jew and that it identified him with God's covenant people, the Jewish commonwealth, which entitled him to many external blessings and favors from God. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much. Every way. There are many advantages here to circumcision. Well, how so? The Bible goes on to say in Romans 3, verse 2, chiefly, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The Jews knew the mind and will of God. How do they know the mind and will of God? Because they possessed the law. The law was given unto them. Not only the law, but the prophets and the Old Testament Scriptures, which contained the very wisdom of God, right? You could say the, the canon, if you will, of God's wisdom. So let's go back to Romans 2.25 and continue. For circumcision verily profit, profiteth if thou keep the law. The Bible was on to say, but if thou be a breaker or a violator of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. We can be sure when we break God's law that punishment, that judgment will follow. We can be sure. What happens when we break man's law? 
I remember <clears throat> many years ago, I was, I was going to work in the morning. It was very early in the morning, let's say 3 in the morning. I was commuting to Emeryville and the, the Bay Area, and I was speeding. And I got pulled over and, of course, cited, which I deserved fully, right? And I, I think in that particular area, it was that area of San Rafael, when you're, when you're ascending that hill, kind of by the Civic Center there, and it, like I said, it was very early in the morning, and no one was on the road. And I think the speed limit there is like 55 miles per hour. But no one was on the road, right? So I thought, in my mind, I'm going to fight this speeding ticket. So when the court day arrived, I went to court. I went before the judge. And I tried to reason with the judge. And I said, but judge, there was... I know the speed limit was 55, but there was no one on the road. And what do you think the judge said? You think he let me off the hook? No. He said, you're condemned. So, off to traffic school I went. But when we make, when we break man's law, we... There's no wiggle room, right? We know we're going to have to face the punishment, right? We're going to have to step up, face responsibility, face the punishment for what we did. How much more so than God? Is is God's judgment? Is God any is is God any less of a judge? How much more is God righteous than man? Infinitely more, right? We can't even make that comparison, really. The Jew broke God's moral law, not only in his outward conduct, as discussed earlier in this chapter. Do you remember us talking about how the, the Jews, even though they had the appearance that they complied with the law, that, that uh, Paul said they were thieves, right? What else did he say? He said they were adulterers. What else did he say? They were sacrilegious, right? So not only did the Jews break God's moral law in their outward conduct, but inwardly as well, not possessing the inward holiness. So when we think of inward holiness, that would include unholy lust, as we've also discussed before. And I think, I don't know if... if more you know, equally important, but definitely of the utmost important is a love for God. This is that inward holiness. So to have perfect inward holiness that would comply with the law, God's moral law, we would have to love God all the time. We would have to love God to the utmost, all the time, every moment, right? And have holy lust. Every moment, right? And of course, love others, because we're commanded to love others as well, right? According to the law. And to not have any outward sins as well. That's the, that's the moral law, right? So, the Jews lack this, this outward Conforming to the law, this, this inward conforming to the law, 
God required to fulfill the moral law perfectly, or as Haldane said, having a perfect purity of soul. Think about that. A perfect purity of soul. Now, if that doesn't sound discouraging to you, it should. And I would add, which no man possesses this. No man of himself, right? Possesses just absolute perfect purity of soul. But yet, we must have it. We must have this absolute purity of soul in order to be justified by the moral law. Luke 10.27, the Jewish lawyer is speaking to Jesus. And he's asking Jesus, right, how he can, how one can be justified. And of course, he's trying to trip Jesus up. His motivations were, were wrong. But Jesus tells him here that he answers correctly to this statement. Luke 10.27, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Everything that we are. We're to love God with everything we are. Every faculty, every member, all the time. Again, this is the standard of the moral law. Because the Jew violated God's moral law, Paul said his circumcision, which the Jew gloried in most definitely for his justification, and which was a requirement of the ceremonial law only, was made uncircumcision. Meaning circumcision, an external sign and work, Think what, I, what we said last week, pedo-baptism, being baptized as a baby, an external work, right? That has, by, of man, that has nothing to do with faith. What about church attendance and church membership? Which also is an external work that man performs that has nothing to do with faith. Rites and ceremonies. I grew up in the Catholic Church. It was very ritualistic. We had sacraments. We had certain rites. But are these, is this, is this, uh, is this faith? Is this justification by faith? Or is this an external work performing these rites and rituals and ceremonies. Think Christian affiliation. How many people say, well, I grew up in a Christian home. I had Christian parents. And so forth. Is this an internal work or an external work? So Paul says here, circumcision and external sign and work had no benefit, no advantage or use to the Jew whatsoever for obtaining justification with God. And what I want you to take notice here is that 
Favors from God is not the same as favor with God. Amen? Favors from God are not, is not the same as favors with God. In a spiritual sense, the Jew's position before God was precisely or exactly the same as an uncircumcised Gentile who broke God's moral law. And even though Gentiles never had the law, the physical law that the Jews had, they did have a law, right? Romans 2 tells us that we, we have a law. It's a natural law of conscience, right? To know right and wrong, which is in perfect conformity to the law. Spiritually, we all stand, Jew and Gentile, uncircumcised, talking about spiritually here, unclean, impure, and therefore condemned by God. And even more so for sinning, the Jews in particular, even more so condemned, for sinning against greater revelation and greater privileges than the Gentiles had. The Gentiles didn't have these advantages of circumcision, did they? This was a great privilege that the Jews had. So their condemnation is even greater. Just like it's greater because for the fact that they had the law. Right? Another advantage or privilege that the Jews had. Jeremiah 9.26 Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the uttermost corners that dwell in the wilderness, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. In other words, what God is saying, remember this is God's book, spiritually uncircumcised, that is Israel is spiritually uncircumcised, having broken God's moral law. Robert Haldane said this, the true Jew and the true circumcision consists not in external qualities, but in internal and real holiness. Real internal holiness can only be imputed to us by the righteousness of Christ. Amen, brother. <laughs> Amen. Apart from the righteousness freely granted to us by God's grace through faith on account of Christ's righteousness, and His satisfaction with God, the Father for our sin. No one can ever attain to the state of being accepted by God. Romans 1, verses 16-17, through 17, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. That would be the Gentiles, right? That's us. God includes us, amen? For therein, that is in the Gospel, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Notice, this is the righteousness of God, not man. This is the righteousness that is required by God. 
For therein is the righteousness of a God revealed in Christ Jesus from faith to faith, or by faith to faith. This is how we receive it. This is how we receive Christ's payment on the cross for our sin, by faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The justified are justified because they are saved by faith through Christ, right? What He did on the, cro- on the cross. So we shall live eternally by faith in Him. Amen? Romans 3, 21-24, but now the righteousness of God. Notice. It is produced and provided by God, this righteousness. It's a righteousness produced and provided by God. Not man. You're not going to get this kind of righteousness no matter how good you think you are how many good things that you do, no matter how obedient you are externally to the Scriptures, or to the law, or to the ceremonial laws. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested or made known to all. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is the purpose of the law is to show us, convict us in our heart that we are sinners and there's no way that we could possibly meet God's perfect moral standard. And the prophets also witness that very same thing. That man can only obtain righteousness in whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? But now the righteousness of God without the law is made known or manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. I put my shirt on the same way a Jew puts his shirt on. Assuming they wear shirts. I don't know, I love t-shirts. I don't know if they wear t-shirts. We're all men, are we not? Do we not all wear the same clothing? Put our shoes on the same way? Brush our teeth the same way? Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned. And that all there, yes, it includes you, it includes me, it includes everyone, yes, it even includes the Jews. All have sinned, and because of that, what does the Bible say? We come short. We come very short. And I know personally, I came very, 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 very short. And come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And praise God for His atonement that redeems us from our sin. Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, put it in the common vernacular, no salvation from sin, no peace. And I was thinking about Brother Andy this morning, because I think he used to have this bumper sticker on the back of his car a long time ago, but nonetheless, he did. I did witness it. But it said uh, something to the effect of no God, no peace. K-N-O-W, right? No God, no peace. Those who know God, those who have received Him, have that peace. And this is an inward peace, right? A spiritual peace, knowing that you are right with God. You are justified before God. Not perfect. Christians aren't perfect, but they are justified before God through Christ's righteousness. A righteousness not of our own. Romans 2.26, let's go back to our, our verse study. Paul goes on to say here in Romans 2.26, Therefore, if, and whenever you see if, this is, that's a hypothetical statement, right? And Paul is speaking here hypothetically. Therefore, if, in other words, if it were possible, If, therefore, if the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, keep the righteousness of the law, if a Gentile was able to keep God's law perfectly, inward and outwardly, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Shall not, un, shall not an uncircumcised Gentile who keeps God's law perfectly, be preferred before God to a circumcised Jew that breaks the law. So this Paul asks to the conviction of the Jew, who was a lawbreaker, who was a violator of God's law. The point Paul is making is that before the judgment seat of God, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision enters at all into consideration for justification or for condemnation. The judgment of God only takes into consideration the observance or the violation of His moral law and not external advantages or disadvantages. The reality is that neither Jew nor Gentile having the ability to obtain, had the ability to obtain salvation by fulfilling the moral law perfectly. In Christ alone is the fulfillment of the righteousness which the law demands, and in whom all men obtain salvation without circumcision. Colossians 2.11 The Bible says, In whom... That's Jesus Christ, in whom also ye are circumcised. And Christ is the antitype, right, of circumcision. Circumcision, the type being the type, and Christ the antitype. And Christ being the perfection of circumcision in the flesh, whom all the ceremonial law foreshadowed and of which Christ fulfilled. 
in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. The circumcision in question here is not a circumcision performed by man, but of God. It is a spiritual circumcision, a circumcision of the heart by the power of the Spirit of God. Bringing men to repentance and faith, which every man is desperately in need of. Not only in this life, but the next. That man is in desperate need of as we face God and go out into eternity for his justification. For our justification before God. John Gill said this, speaking of this spiritual circumcision, he said, which is done, this spiritual circumcision, in other words, takes place, which is done when he is, when man is pricked to the heart and thoroughly convinced of sin and the exceeding sinfulness of it, when the callousness and hardness of his heart is taken off and removed, and the iniquity of it is laid open. It's quite a procedure, isn't it? When our heart is cut open and laid open before God, when He cuts it open by the sword of the Spirit. When the callousness and hardness of his heart is taken off and removed and the iniquity of it is laid open, the plague and the corruption in it discerned and all made naked and bare to the sinner's view. And when he is in pain on account of it, when he's in anguish, right? On account of his sin, is broken and groans under a sense of his sin, and is filled with shame for it, and loathing and abhorrence of it. This is something that God must do, right? God must show us how terrible our sin really is, how wicked we really are to bring us to repentance of our sin and faith in Him. I love these words here. Very powerful, right? Very expressive. Of Does it remind you of your salvation? When God just showed you, He, he, he broke the, the stones of that hard heart and He revealed to you just how wicked you really were. And how because of your wickedness, because of my wickedness, we could never, never be justified with God. Not of our own doing. Not of our own accord. We're going to close here, but let's finish this verse out. I'll start from the, the top. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. 
Christ accomplished this through the through his spiritual circumcision, whereby our sinful works of the flesh and dominion and power of sin over the old man are taken away or put off as a garment having been crucified with Christ on the cross. And a new nature, new man is put on by Christ. The Bible goes on to say, by the circumcision of Christ. Christ is the author of it, of this spiritual circumcision, and He is the surety of it. Amen? So my question for you this morning as we close, if you would just be sincere and absolutely honest with yourself and with God, have you received the circumcision of the heart? Which is rod of God, a work of God? Or are you depending on an outward, fleshly circumcision of man? Are you depending upon some work of your own? You're not really, God has news for us, you're not really a good guy, right? I'm not really a good guy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for the great truths. Who would have thought we would have learned what we've learned by this study about circumcision and that covenant such a long time ago and in the Old Testament. And yet we think about how, how Lord, your Jesus Christ is woven from the first page of the Bible to the last page. Everything in the Word of God pointing to you. To your, your goodness, your love, your mercy, your grace. For those of us who are saved here this morning, we thank you, Lord, for saving us by your grace. We thank you for showing us for circumcising our heart and showing us, revealing to us our own wickedness and how much we desperately needed you. We do pray we don't look down on those who, anyone who may be here this morning who has not received you, we simply pray for them, Lord. We pray that you would convict them of their sin as well and give them saving faith in you and you alone to save them from sin and save them from the punishment of their sin, eternity in hell apart from you. And we just give you the thanks and the praise and the glory. And Lord, help us as Christians to live a life not working, not working towards salvation, but doing good works to glorify you, to bring honor to you, the great God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 
888-949-94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.